Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the parent loves the child. By this we know that we love the children of God. When we love God and obey His commandments, for the love of God is this, that we obey His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God conquers the world. And this is the victory that conquers the world, our faith. Who is it that conquers the world but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is the one who came by water and blood. Jesus Christ, not with the water only, but with the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one that testifies, for the Spirit is truth. May the Lord bless the reading of this living word, and may the words of my lips and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I know that you really love me as a parent or as a person if you love my child, if you show me that you love my child. I drop Judah off at preschool every single day, and I love it. I love that time after mom leaves for work. He's so snuggly when he gets first thing in the morning, and he's not quite awake, and he lets me hold him. And we, get at, we share breakfast, and we watch cartoons, and we go downstairs and play in the basement. Well, for Judah, it's always, hey, Daddy, you want to fight? And he can kick and punch pretty hard, and um, he's got pretty good aim. Um, but the punching and the kicking is not the worst part. The worst part is getting him to put his shoes on and brush his teeth and get his coat on and get in the car, buckle his car seat. These are all things that a five-year-old should and can do pretty quickly and easily, but he is a master of escape and sabotage and delay. Sometimes the hardest thing is those last few steps of walking into his classroom. He's been going to school now for like three years, and he's been at the same school for a year and a half, and yet there are so many mornings where I'm sitting on the floor in the hallway with him, and he's saying, I'm scared. I don't want to go in. I want to be with you. And I'm saying, buddy, you're brave. I love you. Mommy is going to pick you up very soon, and I'll see you after school. And it takes often Miss Tiffany and Mr. Devin pulling him out of my arms, and I'm trying to get out the door as fast as I can and trying to ignore his cries or his screams. And if it happens to be a Monday or a Wednesday or a Friday, and if we happen to get here in time, which is rare, as you might imagine, I see the same thing play itself out just a few doors down at the Wee Center. I would say see it, mostly I hear it because we've got some screamers, especially in the twos, Miss Sally shaking her head. What is it about this transition into the classroom every day that is so scary for our children? I wonder if it's because they are moving from the loving presence of their parents or their grandparents that makes them feel so safe to a risky place where they are not sure of who they are without 
the love of that parent or that grandparent. I wonder if it's a crisis of identity, a crisis of suddenly no longer feeling so secure in who they are and whose they are. I'm not saying that children can understand that or articulate that. Most of us as adults struggle the same way and we can't articulate it or understand it ourselves. But they feel it and we feel it. And there's nothing more painful than that. But I also see what happens on the other side. A mom or dad or grandma or granddaddy or nanny walks out and the child is crying and screaming and then a few minutes later I hear singing or I see them playing and learning. Our We Center teachers hold these toddlers and comfort them and these children find the security again to laugh and play and sing and learn and to continue to become the people God has created them to be. What an amazing gift of grace. These teachers who have given their lives to love my child and to love your children and to love all these children that find their home here at West Main and at the We Center. Thank you. Y'all truly do work miracles. We spend a lot of time worrying about whether our children are ready academically for kindergarten or for college whether they know their numbers and letters, and about what the SAT or the MCATs or the GMAT or the LSAT says about what they've learned and how ready they are for life. We spend a lot of time worried about whether they're prepared for their futures, whether they will have a chance to live up to the full potential that we know that they have. But what if the most important thing that they learn is what they hear when their tears are being wiped away in the We Center hallway. That they are loved by us and by God. What if the most important thing they hear, the most important thing that all of us could hear is, you are a beloved daughter of God. You are a beloved son of God. You were formed and shaped in your mother's womb to be fearfully and wonderfully made in God's image, just as you are. You are unconditionally loved. You are no accident. You belong to God and you belong to me. And you belong here. And you belong to a special God-given destiny that only you can fulfill. I think that is exactly what John is trying to tell us in his epistle. Like the other letter writers and sermon givers in the New Testament, he often calls his readers sisters and brothers. But John more often calls them and us little children. When's the last time anyone has called you little child? I think John does this to make sure that we know that no matter how many years we've lived, no matter how many years we've walked with Jesus, that in God's eyes, we are always and forever little children. God looks at us with that kind of tenderness, with that kind of love. God knows that our lives are just as dependent on His mercy and care as that infant who must be fed and changed and comforted in the middle of the night by her mother 
or that baby who is being held and played with by Miss Sherry and Miss Billy Joe at Tuesday morning out. God sees us with the same kind of delight that we do when our children or our students surprise us with their goodness and their beauty and their creativity and their humor. God sees us with the same kind of excitement as we see the children we teach and the children we raise when we imagine the seemingly infinite possibilities for who they are now and who they will be when they grow up. We see that this fathering God loves us as His children most fully through the life of Jesus, His Son. It is from Him that we learn to call a God not the mysterious I am what I am that Moses heard from the burning bush or the Lord as we translate that, but Abba, the Aramaic word for Daddy. A term that feels to a lot of us adults, especially men, if I'm being honest, as embarrassingly tender and way too intimate to be talking about Almighty God. And Daddy is also a term that is perhaps triggering for those of us whose fathers didn't give us the intimacy that we desired or who were not very loving or tender or present with us. But in God the Father, in God the Son, we see perfect intimacy and connection. So much so that the fully human and fully divine Jesus was secure enough in Himself to give Himself away to the world. When we hear Jesus call God Daddy, it allows us to imagine a little more fully the depth and breadth of God's love for us as little children. I am always overwhelmed and sometimes a little shocked when Judah's been visiting his grandparents or when he's been at school and he almost knocks me down with his hug. He's that excited. How much more must it delight God's heart when Jesus does the same? When we do the same? The good news is that this is not just a beautiful thing to think about or an example to strive for, but that Jesus actually invites us into be a full part of His relationship with the Father. To Jesus, we are caught up in the unconditional love flow between the Father and the Son and the Spirit and the Spirit and the Son and the Father and all sorts of different combinations of flow back and forth between the three persons of the Trinity. If you really think about that, if you think about that flow, the church fathers called it perichoresis, which actually is a word for a dance. God is essentially relational. And that's why a Trinitarian theology is so important. It's not just that's what the Bible said and so we believe it, but it's, it's that understanding of God that God is in perpetual motion in love. That God is a verb. And the better news is that that love, that flow of love from God to us makes us who we are. Through the only begotten Son, we are, as verse 1 tells us, begotten of God too. We have always and forever been children of God from the beginning of time. From the beginning of each of our lives when God blew Holy Spirit into dust to make human clay in the story of Genesis 2, to the babies 
that are being formed and shaped in their mother's wombs as the sound of my words travel to the back of the sanctuary, to the babies who are now hungrily pulling in their first breaths in this world at Sova as I pause between paragraphs in the sermon. We have always been children of God and we will always be children of God no matter what. Irrespective of whether we recognize it or understand it or embrace it or not. But claiming our birthright is the spiritual struggle of a lifetime. We don't want to be little children, do we? From the time that we are babies, we watch the big kids. And we want to climb the monkey bars. And we want to get our driver's license or graduate or move away from home. We are always wanting to move up and grow up to get to that next milestone, that next privilege, that next stage in our career, that next stage in our children's lives, to retirement, to those dreams that we put down on a list of paper years ago. But Jesus tells us that if we want to enter the kingdom of heaven, that we have to become like little children. Jesus tells Nicodemus and tells us that we must be born again. To live into our true destinies as God's daughters and sons, we have to learn to hold loosely and sometimes let go of the trappings of adulthood, which come way too early often. We have to let go of what we have earned or accomplished. We have to let go of our position in the family or the community, our skills and our expertise, those letters in front of or behind our names the personas that we have carefully constructed in person or carefully curated on our social media accounts. We have to let go of anything that tempts us to believe that we have ultimate control over our own lives or over life itself. We have to hold less tightly or let go of anything that inflates our egos. Anything that makes us feel like we have arrived or that we have nothing else to experience, or to learn. No wonder we have resisted this. No wonder we will always resist this. It goes against everything we have learned to do to survive in this hard, adult, as the prayer said, X-rated world. Like Nicodemus, we can't wrap our minds around it intellectually, but you see, that's just a diversion. The real thing that we can't wrap our mind around is what we understand fully. That to be born again, that to be a child of God requires us to be vulnerable and needy. It requires us to be a receiver rather than a giver. It requires us to acknowledge that God is God and that we are not. The cost of this kind of surrender, the cost of letting God be our Father is great. It feels like we have a lot to lose. But what we learn in our falling and our failing, what we learn in our midlife crises and our sophomore slumps and rock bottom moments, what we learn in long days in the ICU and crushing griefs that forever change our lives, is that no other identity but being a beloved daughter or son of God can support the weight of our souls. No other way of understanding ourselves can save us and free us to live 
abundant life here or abundant life in the hereafter. My mother has told me countless times over my almost 35 years that I will always be her baby. A mother in this church told me a couple weeks ago that she told her middle-aged son who was going in for surgery that he would always be her baby. This week I have prayed and I have wept and I've sat in heartbreaking silence with a mother and two fathers who celebrated the 28th birthday of their daughter through beeps and through the breathing machines, telling her that she would always be their baby too. And little children, that is what the Almighty God who created the heavens and the earth, the God who commands galaxies and moves mountains, is saying to you right now, that you will always be my baby. And just as the father dropped off his son Jesus at the door of human existence, a crying mess just like any of the rest of us when we're getting back to our cars, he came back to pick Jesus up off the cross and bring him all the way home in his arms. And he wants to do the same thing for us. The father holds out his arms, ready to embrace you as his daughter or his son too. Will you say yes to your destiny? Will you claim your inheritance of that amazing grace? Will you let go and become like a little child and let the Father love you? I hope you will. Amen. If you, this morning, heard the voice of the Father and you want to respond in a public way and profess your faith, I'll be down front ready to receive you as Virginia sings. And if you want to join this family of faith, trying to love one another well, we would love to have you as a part of this church family.